May 14th, 15th, and 16th, sign-up sheets out there. Trust me, uh, you want to receive a blessing. If you have a great marriage, I highly recommend you continue to have a great marriage by investing in, in the marriage maintenance. Uh, so if you come, that doesn't mean that your marriage is in trouble and that you hate your wife or you hate your husband. Uh, it just means that you're trying to invest and <clears throat> get better and stronger. And so sign-up sheets out there. Uh, we hope that, that we'll take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, so we've been talking, or I've been talking about uh, the small things last time I, I preached and uh, going to be talking about some big things today. And then in the end, you're going to understand that small or big, if God's in it, it's a pretty, pretty large event. So I hope that that's what you get. But I hope that as you sit in these chairs and you sing and you interact with Justin or Kurt and Tiana and myself, Amanda, Debbie, that, that you don't lose sight uh, of the God moments. Many of y'all, most of y'all know my dog had a litter of puppies. One of the things you may not know is I'm extremely allergic to puppies. Now, big dogs, as long as I keep my hands washed, I'm good. There's something about the secretion that a puppy or a kitten has that just tears me up. So when I have a litter of puppies, I normally develop a cough and uh, congestion, and it normally turns into bronchitis. So last Saturday... I did my normal thing. I, about 9, 10 o'clock, I went upstairs, got away from Deb. I looked at my notes and my, what I was going to say and prayed and did my normal thing. I was coughing. I, I admit that. And so come back downstairs, you know, Debbie and I watched a little TV, uh, get ready for bed. I'm fixing to cut the light out, and Deb looks at me. Now, this is about 1230, and she says, I don't think you need to go in the morning. I was like, What? She said, I said, you know, it's them puppies and all. She said, yeah, but everybody at church won't know. She said, you sound horrible. You're going to scare people with this COVID and stuff. And so I thought for a minute, and I was like, well, she's right. So here's what I don't want you to miss. I said, well, it's 1230. I, ain't can't, I can't call or text Justin tonight or Kurt or Tiana or anybody. So I got up next morning. About 720, I text Justin. I said, I'm not going to be there this morning. Now, that's the first any of the staff knew, okay? Uh, I said, uh, you know, show the marriage conference video. You and Amanda maybe do a little marriage conference uh, testimony or Kurt or Tiana or uh, name some folks in the crowd that I knew would be willing to and could do that. But that was 7.20 last Sunday morning. I got up that Sunday morning. You know how it is when you congest. It's always worse at night and in the morning. I don't know why that is. But I was, you know, doing my coughing and hiking. Well, finally I sat down. I got sleepy. So I went to bed. So I didn't see the service live. So I get up and Debbie says, you need to watch service. And I said, why? She said, you just need to watch it. I said, well, you're going to tell me why? I mean, like, did, I said, I said, did they talk about the marriage conference? She said, nope. <laughs> I'm like, well, I told them to do the marriage conference. Uh, why didn't they do the marriage conference? I said, what's going on? She said, well, guess who, who did it? I said, you killing me. I don't, I, uh, Kurt. 
She said, nope. She said, just watch it. I said, will you tell me you done open this door? And then she said, Carrie. And then I watched it. And if you were here or if you've watched it, you know that it was like that was planned. And here's what I want you to understand as you come. Sometimes we miss God. And we don't need to. And that goes to show you it's beyond a pastor or a worship leader. Come to find out that Carrie had felt that Thursday that God was leading her to say something. But she was thinking maybe next year or two years from then. (laughs) God knew it was going to be Sunday. And so last week at 7.20 in the morning, God shifted. And even it wasn't about carry, it was about obedience. And, and, and I just don't want us to miss it. And as I read scripture today, that's going to be the challenge because we're going to read scripture that I've read thousands of times and you've heard thousands of times. You might be even tired of hearing me preach about these passages of scripture. But we continue to preach and teach these scriptures because many people miss it. Many people don't get it. And I want us to get it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, as we open your word and your word becomes life, it becomes flesh, it's real. I pray that we would block out any distractions that we would, would tune our ears and our spirits to yours and that we would make an attempt to connect with you like we never have before, that we would, would try to digest the word and allow your spirit to, to speak to us and get our attention in a very real way. And God, as we have prayed and as we continue to pray that we leave this place a little bit different, a little more like Jesus, because we've taken advantage of the opportunity. And so, Lord, as I've prayed before, as best we can as human beings in our flesh, we give this time to you and ask that you bless it, multiply it, and at the same time that it brings honor and glory to you. And Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. First passage of Scripture this morning comes from John chapter 6. And when I start, you, we talk about it. I re- reference it. Uh, today, we're going to read it and, and hopefully digest it. Uh, you may get same points or you may get something new, but I hope that you get something. And so in John chapter 6, It says, after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Now, people was attracted to Jesus. Even the Pharisees and Sadducees followed him, but yet they were following him to try to trick him and and trip him up. And the amazing thing about that was the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew that the Messiah was coming. They were looking for a Savior, and here he was, and, and they missed it. So everybody that followed Jesus didn't get it. But there was huge crowds, and they had an opportunity. Then Jesus climbed 
a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Now here's this huge crowd and he looks at his disciples and, and they're like a lot of us. They don't have a whole lot. And he looks at this huge crowd and he says, what, what can we do to feed these people? And like us who don't have a whole lot, when that happens, you look at somebody and go, well, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know what I'm going to do. Well, I'm going to let them fend for themselves. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Because we don't have the resources. We don't have, and I'm going to refer in a minute to when I was a youth pastor and we did the impacts and the big events for the whole community. That took months of planning. We tried to figure out how many kids was going to be there. We tried to figure out what we were going to feed, who we were going to feed, and how we were going to do it. It took months to plan now, here's Jesus on the whim, and he looks at this huge crowd, and he says, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Verse 7, Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Now, you see, Jesus was looking at them at a point of need here, and he had compassion on them, and Philip was looking at the reality of the situation and going, I don't know what we're going to do, Jesus, but we ain't got enough. Trust me. But now, here's the deal. We already know, we read in this story, when Jesus is in the equation, I'm going to throw this out there, is he enough? Yes. You say yes, but when you live life and the problems come, do you really mean yes? I hope that's the case. But see, when we dig deep here, the reality of the situation, we got a huge crowd of people, we ain't got a whole lot of funds, and we sure ain't got no food. So what we're going to do? Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, and he goes, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Now, Andrew looked at the situation, and he said, you know, you ask a question, what we're going to feed them with? And he looked, and he said, here's what we got. Here's what we got, Lord. And when he told the Lord what he had, he did go on and say, but what good is that with this huge crowd, right? So he at least took to Jesus what he saw that they had. Now, was it enough to feed a large crowd? Now, in the reality of the situation, when you're looking at it, would it have been enough to feed a huge crowd? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I, I eat healthy now, uh, and I may not look like it, but I just want you to know five barley loaves and two fish is enough for me, okay? I'm serious. And we're talking about a huge crowd. If I'm looking at five barley loaves and two fish, and we're looking at today, I'm wondering what y'all going to eat. Jesus says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. During that day, the 
ladies and the kids didn't count as much. And I'm not saying, I'm just saying that was what happened in that time. So it didn't even count the ladies. It didn't count the children. So we know that there were 5,000 men there. Then Jesus took the loaf, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, Now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. Don't miss the miracle of five barley loaves and two fish feeding at least 5,000 men. And then they had leftovers. So they picked up the pieces and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. You and I read that story and we go, well, that's a pretty neat story, but you don't see that happen today. And if you've been here long enough, many of you have heard this story, and it's a true story. When we did those impact events, we spent months planning those things. we get the location, and it was a lot of work. Kind of like Carrie last night, I'm sure when she got home after our uh, glow-in-the-dark Easter egg hunt, she was pretty tuckered out, and she was tired. And so these events, we would plan them, we would do them, we would be together, and when it was over, we'd, I'm glad that's over, you know. It's just, just reality of life. This particular event we'd planned because uh, certain churches couldn't hold it, we'd planned for it to be at Grassy Pond. We was going to meet in the uh, recreation facility and because it, we could put chairs and it, it was bigger. And, and, and my particular job for that, that evening was to park cars. So let me go ahead and tell you, that's all I want. I want to park cars. I want to go in. I want to worship a little bit. I want to leave and mind my own business. You know what I'm saying? So we're out there, we're parking buses, we're parking vehicles, we're directing people to where to go and all this and that. And it was fine, well, and good. Keith Higginbotham, the, the youth pastor at Grassy Pond, come running out. They had given tickets to people that were supposed to eat. When people were getting off buses, instead of the people with the tickets, everybody was getting in line to eat. And nobody told them that they couldn't. So he come out, and they were feeding spaghetti that night. He come running out, and if you know Keith Higginbottom, he was an old military man, he come running out, and he goes, we're running out of food. Well, what was my job? Talk to me. What was my job? I didn't care about the food. I didn't care about the spaghetti. I'm like, Keith, that's on you, Bo. See you later. He said, we're running out of, he said, we've got that much spaghetti sauce, and they lined out the door. What we're going to do? I said, when you get through with spaghetti sauce, feed them noodles. You ever ate noodles, Keith? They're pretty good. Throw a little butter on them. They're they all right. They're eating for free, Keith. I mean, they can't complain a whole lot. We're here to talk about Jesus, Keith. I'm here, Keith, Keith, I'm here to park cars. <laughs> and that's what I'm doing. So, see you, Keith. So, we got through parking cars, and 
I really had forgotten. Didn't be honest with you. Didn't really care. And we're getting ready to come in, and here come Keith. Right now, if you knew Keith, Keith, like I say, he was an old military man. He he liked to appear tougher than he really was, and so this was un, unlike he come running out to our group. Now we were friends. We were tight. We did things together. We'd go to lunch uh, together and go to the schools and, and meet with the kids. So we'd become tight, you know, and we'd pick at one another. Here comes Keith running out. When I saw Keith running at us, I said, well, he's going to tell us they had a mess and people got mad and I was fixing, you know, I was fixing to tell him, Keith, I've parked cars. I don't care. <laughs> and he got to us and tears running down his eyes. And that was unlike him. And he said, y'all, y'all ain't going to believe this. I said, what's going on, Keith? He said, you remember I told you we was running out of food? I said, yeah. He said, man, we fed everybody, and we've got food left over. I said, really? He said, yeah, and you remember I told you about the spaghetti sauce? He said, we had that much left? He said, y'all go in there and look in the pot. There's still that much left. And you and I read about the feed of 5,000, and we don't get it. Do I believe that? I lived it. So absolutely I believe it. And here's the deal. When I tell this story, you guys go home and think, well, that's a pretty neat story. And then you forget about it. Not understanding in this day and time, and that's why I preach this, that's why I teach this. And if you're looking on Facebook, let me go ahead and tell you something. The God that fed the 5,000 still feeds the 5,000 a day. The God that was in the miracle-making business then, he's still in the miracle-making business. And why do we not see it? Sometimes we don't look. We go to church, but we don't look. We don't, don't see Jesus. And when we, and here, here, I said this this past Thursday. We referenced this passage of Scripture. You know, I read this. When you read this, you think 5,000 people walked away changed, Right? But the reality of the situation was that there was probably a whole lot of people in that day and time like you and I that walked away with a full belly and that was it. In other words, he were there and they saw Jesus in the flesh do it, but they didn't get it. They walked away and that's all they walked away with was spaghetti or fish in their bellies. And in this day and time, Jesus did it, but he did it in the spirit. And how many people took note? How many people's lives did it change? Because Jesus is in the life-changing business, y'all. And when you know it for real and when you live it and it becomes real, you want more of it. And I do. And I'm asking you today, have you, have you ever... Have you ever come to the Jesus that's still in the miracle-making business? Have you? Do, do you know it? Because it's real today. Let me, let me read another one to you. Now, would you say Jesus 
taking five barley loaves and two fish and feeding 5,000, was that big? Was that a big thing? All right, hang on. John chapter 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi's disciples asked, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sins or his parents' sins? Jesus said it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus said this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the task assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, here's a guy that had been blind from birth. So Jesus, in verse 6, he, then he spat, spat on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. Now, if you physically get a picture of that, that's pretty gross, isn't it? And I don't know that I would want any of y'all to spit in the dirt and make mud and touch me anywhere. So I don't know what Jesus was thinking. I don't know what the blind man was thinking. But here's Jesus spits in the dirt. Now, you and I have done this when you were little boys. I know it. You spit in the dirt and take a little stick and, do, and make a little mud pie, you know. And it was fun back then. So he spreads this mud over this blind man's eyes and he told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Shalom. Shalom means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seen. Is this a small thing or a big thing? His neighbors and others who knew him as blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. He's like, no, that can't, be, that can't be that cat. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I'm the same one. They asked, who healed you? What happened? So he told them, the man they called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and he told me to go to the pool of Shalom, wash yourself. So I went and washed, and now I can see. Where is he now, they asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus made the mud and healed him. The Pharisees asked the man all about it, so he told them, he put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath Here's a religious leader looking for the Messiah, and this is what he comes up with. Now, here's a person that he knew had been born blind, and now he could see, and he's worried about Jesus working on the Sabbath. And there's, there's people today, there's preachers in pulpits today that are just like this Pharisee. Worried about everything and anything. Except a real relationship with Jesus. And that's what it all boils down to today. Is that real genuine relationship with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, what's your opinion about this man who healed you? Now, duh, here was a man that had never, ever seen. And now he's got... Chronochrome, you know what I'm saying? 
and they won't know what his opinion is of Jesus. Duh. I mean, have you ever been around somebody and asked a stupid question? This is it. The man replied, I think he must be a prophet. The Jewish leader still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they called in his parents. They asked them, is this your son? Was he born blind? If so, how can he now see? You know, questions. Da-da-da-da-da, questions. Is he? Does he? Is he? Sometimes we do that when God comes around. There's too many questions. Just accept it. His parents replied, we know this. This is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know how he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He is old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. So that's why they said he's old enough. Ask him. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been born blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Listen at verse 25. This is the blind man. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. You see, they, the Pharisees were playing politics and pressure and this blind man, all he could do was testify to the fact, he said, look, I don't know. I don't know all of that mess, but here's what I do know. Here's what I can tell you. I was blind, and now I see. And you and I, we read this story in John, and we say, well, you know, we go home, and well, that's a pretty good little story. But you know, in 2021, things like that don't happen. I've told you this story too. I told you that our youth pastors used to go and have lunch with the kids at school. They still do that, I think. This particular Wednesday, I went and went into the school building, and lady behind the desk told me so they're not in the cafeteria; they're in the in the music room. I knew where the music room was, so I went over there. They were in there, and some of them were playing guitar, singing. A group of them had been on a mission trip to Brazil. And so I went in, and what happened was instead of eating lunch, they had went in there, and they were singing and praising God, and they were getting up and talking about this trip to Brazil. One of the young girls was not in my youth group, but I knew her. I knew her real well. She, I counted her as a friend, even though she was in high school. And I knew her to be strong spiritually, even though she was a teenager. And she had went on this trip to Brazil. And so she got up and she sat down. And this is the story she shared. She said, we went to this old house. And when you went in, the floor was dirt. It was mud. They didn't have tile. They didn't have wood. It was a hut. And we went in to give testimony. We went in to talk about Jesus. And when they went in, they found out that the old lady that lived in that house was blind. One of the adults started talking to the old lady. Now, the little girl, when she gave testimony, did not talk about John and the number of verses. 
This is what the young girl said. She said, you know, where in the Bible it talks about Jesus spitting in the dirt and making mud and rubbing it on the person's eyes and then they could see. See, she didn't know exactly where it was, but she knew it. And she said, while they were talking to that lady, it was like a fire. It was like a furnace. It was like, it was like, all I could think about was that passage of scripture. To a point where she said she felt like God wanted her to spit in the dirt, make mud, and put it on this old woman's eyes. Now, here's a teenager in Brazil thinking that. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm six years old, and that scared Jesus out of me. And I never will forget the words she said. She said, so I went, and through an interpreter, I told the lady the story. And I spat on that dirt floor of her home. And I made bud. And I rubbed it on that lady's eyes. Teenager. Here's the words that got me. She said, you know, it was scary. And I was so afraid that that lady wouldn't be able to see. But I had to be obedient to God. Teenage. And we miss it. There's power in this book. And you and I take it for granted. That little girl finished the story. They wiped the mud off of that Brazilian woman's eyes. And for the first time, she could see. Why don't that happen in America? Because you and I sit in chairs, and we hear about Jesus, and we take it for granted, and we go through that exit sign, and we don't live it. And I believe with all my heart, because of that, you and I miss many great miracles. And do I believe this? Absolutely. I knew that little girl. One of these days, I'm going to ask her to come and share that testimony in person. I sat there amazed. But in this journey of life, I've come to understand that as I was coming up, it was about church. It was about being good. And somewhere along the lines, I dropped that because that ain't what it's about. It's about coming to the understanding that Jesus is still Jesus. It's about coming to understand that he still does what he did. 
It's about coming to see like last Sunday that in the midst of chaos and not knowing what was going on, God showed up and showed out. And you and I are part of that, but you can miss it. And I'm asking you not to. Now, here's another part of the story that you don't know. The last several times that I've not been here, I've sent out a text or email to the staff. And when I say staff, I sent it to Justin and Amanda. I sent it to Kurt and Tiana. I sent it to Tyler and Carrie. And I say, I'm not going to be there. Does anybody feel led to lead? That opens it up to Amanda. That opens it up to Tyler. That opens it up to anybody. And here's what I want you to know. Are y'all with me? I got 100% faith in all of them. Because I know that they're going to sit back and they're going to watch God do the work. And that's exciting. But anyway, the last four or five times I'd sent it out. And so jokingly, I went to Carrie and I went because Kurt had done it a couple times. Uh, Justin's done it. And so jokingly, I went to Carrie and I said, "Uh, when are you going to take your turn? And she looked at me and she said, um, now here's a teacher trained, been to school. She said, Jack, uh, I, I'm comfortable with kids and I'm comfortable being the director of children. But I don't know if I can do that. And so I saw in her eye there was maybe a fear or a wall. Now, here's what I want you to understand. I understand the nervousness. I understand the pressure. I understand the the weight of the responsibility. I understand. And so when Carrie voiced that that was a wall in her life, I looked at her and I said, don't worry about it. We've got enough people it'll be taken care of. But I looked at her, and I said this. I said, Carrie, here's what I want you to know. I do not want you to get up until you and God are ready. But I wanted her to know. I looked. I said, the eyeball to eyeball. I said, Carrie, here's what I want you to know. I trust you in my pulpit. I trust your walk with the Lord, and I trust that God will use you. But I don't want you to feel. I said, now, here's the deal. Anytime I'm out, I'm still going to include you, and I'm still going to ask. But I don't ever want you to feel pressured to do it, and I for sure don't want you to do it if God's not in it. Now, that was months ago. Twelve thirty last Saturday night when Debbie said, Jack, you don't need to go. I didn't know that God was opening a door. I didn't know what God was doing. I slept. Well, I slept a little bit. I sneezed and coughed more than anything. Got up and went back to bed. Didn't see the live service. Got up. And here's the deal, y'all. When Carrie came that morning, she didn't know she was going to be speaking. She didn't know till she got here. 
but she knew that Thursday that the Lord was opening the door. And when she got here, all of a sudden, God said, hmm, Carrie, today's the day. And I don't want you to miss that that's as big as the feeding of the 5,000. So when I got up, Deb said, Carrie had done it. I couldn't wait to watch to see what God had done because I knew that was a fear. I knew she herself didn't want to do that. And I sat on my couch, 112 Meadowood. Debbie did too. Did like I'm doing now, squalled like a baby. Because I knew it wasn't Carrie. I knew that God and her had come to a point where she was willing to let him take control. And only her and God could do that. And I'm begging that you don't miss those things. I got two other passages of scripture that kind of relate Psalm 56, verse 3 and 4. But when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God, so why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? And in 1 John chapter 1, starting with verse 1, John said this, We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen we saw him with our own eyes, touched him with our own hands. He is the word of life. And here's what I want to tell you today as a testimony as a pastor to you. I have not seen him in the flesh, but I have seen him. And I'm here today to testify to you that this word is real. I'm not up here to make a paycheck. I'm not up here to be your best friend. I'm up here to tell you the truth. And that's what I'm doing. That's what John did. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the father and then he was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. I'm telling you a story about Grassy Pond. I'm telling you a story about a girl that I knew in a Brazilian trip that I didn't even go on. But I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart and I'm telling you so that you can have fellowship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The sad thing is, is somebody will go out that exit sign and go, eh. Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Last Sunday, I sat on my couch and I squalled like a baby because I knew Carrie had experienced a God moment in joy that you can't never, there's no price on that. And I looked at a service that looked like it had been planned for months. And I don't know who Carrie, I don't know who God used Carrie to speak to. I just hope you, they were listening. Last four Sundays, you had Justin, you had me, you had Carrie, and then you got me again. And the bottom line is, and I'm thankful for this for you in North Point, it don't matter who's up here, you know God's in control.
And I meant it with all my heart to come in this morning. I looked at Carrie as I was coming through. I said, "Hun, you can take today if you want to. <laughs> she declined. <laughs> Feeding the 5,000. Spaghetti sauce. Spaghetti. Spit. In dirt, make mud. He's God. He can live in you. What you going to do with him? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is life and it is still making miracles today. I pray that there, if there's any in this room that are skeptical, I pray that there's any in this room that are uncertain about you today that these passages and my stories will encourage them to seek you with all their heart on their own like Carrie did as far as speaking and that one day they'll be on the same page with you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this time continually that you would fall in this place that, that, that people would feel like in that place where that little girl, people today would feel the heat, the furnace of your Holy Spirit, feel like a rushing wind. But Lord, you get their attention today in Jesus' name. Amen.